Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to another episode of Spill the Tea. I'm Sal Nuzzo, Vice President of Policy with JMI. With me is our President and CEO, Dr. Robert McClure. Bob, uh, so much to unpack this episode. Uh, let's kick it off with the primary results from around the country. I think a couple of big uh, notes. One is uh, Madison Cawthorn uh, lost his uh, primary re-election, uh, had a number of slip-up scandals, all kinds of stuff happening, and as a result, uh, we've got a, a state member uh, from the uh, North Carolina Senate, I believe, who's going to be running in that uh, in that ticket. Uh, but the big story, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think, you know, as, as is typical of the media, they love to... There, there are two things, I think, that are interesting from last night. One is the media is still obsessed with Donald Trump. Yep. Um, and so whoever he endorses is either is either a big winner or a big loser. And, and that's, that's one aspect of it. But the second aspect of it for the media is they don't understand... Local politics. So if you look at North Carolina and you look at Pennsylvania and Idaho and Kentucky, they're all very different. Voters may take a, uh, an endorsement from Donald Trump uh, and factor that into their decision making. But if the, if the candidate is, is, has, you know, has been a terrible candidate or is a nut, as we've seen in years past, I'm not calling anybody a nut from last night, or has had a number of issues like Madison Cawthorn, they can walk and chew gum at the same time. They can choose not to vote for someone based on that. And so you see kind of all kinds of things breaking in different ways. Madison Cawthorn loses because he's had a passel of self-inflicted uh, problems in his congressional district, and they decided to vote him out. But in Pennsylvania, you saw uh, the two candidates in the Republican Party who were kind of get kind of seen as the best chance to win that race, got the top two votes. We don't know who the winner is as we sit here this morning. But then you look at North Carolina, they nominated a pro-Trump but pro-business Ted Budd to uh, take on the Democratic candidate in North Carolina. And so the media always likes to say, they like to simplify, oversimplify everything, and the voters are much more complicated than that. Yeah, and the talk I'm hearing is that, uh, especially when you factor in the uh, the Pennsylvania Senate race being as close as it is between Dr. Oz and I think it's McCormick, um, one, they're going to have to go to a recount, but whether or not the Trump endorsement of Oz late in the game factored into uh, his potential and how likely it is that Republicans hold that seat from retiring Senator Pat Toomey, if it is Dr. Oz who ends up on top. All of this to say, this is going to be an insanely exciting uh, election cycle uh, uh, by all accounts. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens. And I think the results last night were really fun and interesting to watch. What people don't understand is the electorate is big and it's complicated and they think through their voting choices and make those decisions and it's not as simple as the mainstream media likes to say. And uh, we could shift gears a little bit because I do want to spend some time on this. Uh, you and I, our daughters are both uh, off of the formula, uh, so to speak, uh, yep. grown up. 
but um, mothers, new mothers around the United States grappling with a baby formula shortage that uh, I think is indicative of a couple of things and, and we can kind of dive into. One is the challenges that we are having across the board on supply chain issues that are going to manifest themselves over the course of the remainder of this year. It is not just baby food that is, uh, or baby formula that we're having challenges with. This is just a very specific one because it relates to a recall on an American manufacturer that uh, because of an FDA regulation and there's all kinds of things going on here, but this is not going to help I think the Biden administration's narrative that the economy is somehow right. on a roll. No, I think I think what you see with the baby formula issue is it is it, crystallized because it involves mothers and babies. And that is, you know, that is always kind of a component of the national media. I think secondly though, what you see is this baby uh, this formula shortage is a direct result of overregulation Overtaxation. I mean, we're able to authorize vaccines for emergency use for two years, and many moms and dads are wondering, okay, when feeding their babies, you know, is that considered an emergency? How come we can't move faster? And if we're going to, as Congress has at least proposed, they haven't done anything with it, propose to waive regulations in order to uh, put much more baby formula on the market. If those regulations are not good in an emergency, why are they ever good? Well, and the other part that I'll point out is it, it, part of what the the administration is talking about doing now is importing baby formula right. from other places. Now, this speaks to a, a, a legitimate and ongoing consistent problem that this administration has with respect to kind of understanding how the economy itself works. They would have known or they should have known that this shortage was going to happen when they issued that recall. There should have been plans in place for how to address it. And yet they just kind of, they slow walked everything. We're finding out about kind of the back end of this after the shortage happens. And this is just, you know, Whenever they talk about the lack of scandals in the Obama presidency versus the which, Trump which presidency, which was not true. Exactly, Obama it is. It is Internal exactly. Internal Revenue Service is perhaps one of the greatest scandals in the twenty first and twentieth century. And, and and this is part and parcel of the media not holding the administration to account for a scandal when it is a Democrat in the chair. Right. And I'll say this uh, to it. Rein, you know, the, the Biden administration keeps trying to shift the narrative, shift the narrative, shift the narrative. But this baby formula issue just paints and further cements the narrative that they can't do anything right. Everything they touch uh, is, is ruined across the board. So all you have to do then is look at an NBC News poll. And there was a new poll. This is NBC News. This is not some right-wing or center-right um, organization. This is NBC News that found that 75% of U.S. adults think the nation is on the rat, wrong track. 75, three out of four Americans think that. And Who's that's it? the highest who, number. Who are the 25% that think it's right? right. That's what I want to know. Right. And that's the that's the highest number of unsatisfied Americans since the, since the 2008 uh, meltdown in the last recession. So the 
the cake is baked, as they say, and that while they they the the left tries to shift the narrative to Roe v. Wade or you know uh, Ukraine or the baby formula is not our fault or the the Putin uh, inflation tax or whatever, Americans know better. Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? They know what's going on, and this news poll confirms that. And to kind of continue that uh, dynamic, you even have someone like Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. the uh, the at one point the wealthiest man in the world. I think now he's number two behind um, behind Elon Musk. He gets into a little Twitter back and forth. Even he is acknowledging that the administration's explanation, and I use air quotes on that, right. for inflation is completely off. Even he has acknowledged uh, vocally the fact that in the, I think it was 2021, we printed $4 trillion of, of money and inserted that into the economy. And now we're all of a sudden, the administration is surprised that inflation is, is happening and they're trying to blame anything other than that. And I think you, I think it's very interesting too. Speaking of Bezos, you have Bezos directly challenging sitting Democratic president, which only a few weeks ago in the woke world would not have happened. Yep. You have Elon Musk who is saying publicly, very publicly, for the first time in his lifetime, he's going to vote Republican because of the mess the Democrats have made. You, we obviously have talked on this podcast before, Sal, about the Disney. Uh, issue and the woke response to to that here in Florida. But did you notice, you know, during when when the Roe v. Wade uh, supposed decision was leaked, you haven't heard a peep from corporate America. And in fact, you you have seen people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk begin to say, you know, push back against a sitting Democrat. And in Musk's uh, case, he's actually going to vote for a Republican. There's a pendulum swing. Absolutely. There's a tide that's moving back against this woke craziness that we've seen for the last two years. And it speaks to the fact that I think there is a growing acknowledgement that um, policy differences and policy philosophies between Republicans and Democrats or conservatives and progressives are not life and death struggles, which is what the woke left is trying to make them out to be. And therefore, they're saying there's this old story about Michael Jordan. And when uh, someone had asked him why he didn't want to be more politically active and use his platform, he said, well, Republicans buy sneakers too. It is that philosophy that there is a large cohort of the population uh, that, and I would suggest maybe even a majority of the population that has a center right economically governing philosophy in the country. And big companies that have been kowtowing to vocal minorities over the last several years are now beginning to see that uh, and, and kind of get on board with a, all right, maybe we don't need to engage on every single political issue that comes down the left's uh, uh, avenues. I mean, it was stunning that there was not a peep from a corporate from corporate America after Roe v. Wade. You think of Major League Baseball and the Georgia election integrity law. You think of um, all these different woke uh, responses over the last two to three years, and and now... It's crickets, and so it's real. You're see, beginning to see things change. Even McDonald's is now de-arching from Russia. In 1990, McDonald's became the first U.S. fast food 
chain to set up shop in Russia. Now, 32 years later, the company's decided to sell eight, it's all of its stores, there are apparently 850 of them, to a local buyer since operating in Russia is no longer, they say, quote, yep. tenable due to the invasion of Ukraine. That's 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 amazing. Now, now I want to share my personal anecdote on this because um, I actually was one of the first customers at the very first McDonald's in Moscow in 91. I was there uh, studying... Uh, we had been uh, cooped up in our uh, in our dorm rooms at this boarding school in uh, in Moscow, and uh, I was 16 years old. We had gotten tired of eating borscht and all of the things that they tried to serve us. So we we finally decided we were going to take the metro over to Pushkin Square. the The McDonald's was probably about as big as a Walmart is uh, in, in the United States. The <laughs> line goes around outside the McDonald's, around a corner, down a block. We wait probably a good hour and a half to get in. We had not eaten American food in weeks. And one of the comical things about this was they didn't have a full menu. They had like the Big Mac and the cheeseburger and the hamburger and then a double cheeseburger and fries. Of course, they had milkshakes and apple pies because that was American. You know? uh, so we just order everything we could. I think I may have eaten eight cheeseburgers that, that right, day. Right. So we order, we pay, we go, we, we finally, we're sitting down and we start to wonder, oh my gosh, how much did we spend? We didn't even care. We weren't paying attention. We were just turning over rubles. We go and we look and we do the conversion factor. I think my entire meal, all of the stuff we gorged ourselves on was about a dollar fifty oh because gosh. of the because of the exchange rate between the ruble and the dollar at the time. It's kind of a sad um, sad ending in my estimation because that was the dawn of. I actually traveled to the Soviet Union, right. and when I had come back, it had changed over to Russia. It was the dawn of kind of something new mm -hmm. for the Russian people and they were really really embracing it and I think one of the challenges is is that they really mismanaged because of kleptocracy because right. of authoritarian yeah. rule the transition and that's what we're seeing now with respect to Putin it, it's just one of those things that I've been following and and it's just sad for me to have been there and seen all of the potential and now it's just kind of destroyed. Right. And and it's going to be re really interesting to see if other corporations do the same. Yeah. What does Coca-Cola do? What does Apple do? What does, you know, all of do these other corporations do in Russia? You know? Well, let's shift uh, because we've got a lot going on in Florida that I want to get to. But before that, um, I, I saw a report about kind of increased risks to wildfire of wildfires, and they're trying to somehow tie it to climate change, where they can work in some kind of a risk factor right. quantifiable right. analysis that would somehow account for climate change risk. This is something that I think is being floated as a trial balloon. And I, I know I don't want to venture into conspiracy theory land. However, we're seeing a lot of talk about the growth of ESG policies, environmental, social, and governance policies among big Which corporations. Explain to our listeners. Sure. ESG policies are basically where companies, mainly publicly traded companies, 
are uh, getting taken over by the Black Rocks and these big hedge funds, and they're trying to put in place scoring systems for how those companies are run based on environmental and right. social right. wokeism. And this is one little part of that. So, you know, they, they try to implement some quantifiable climate change impact well, on, in this on case, wildfires. Yeah, in this case, the report included a first of its kind tool to measure wildlife risk, wildlife risk on wildfire. individual wildfire, wildfire risk on individual properties. And the factors include things like your roof type or the vegetation that is near your house. And in a place like Florida, I'm sure it's how close you are to the coastline and how far you are from a, you know, interstate highway. I mean, who knows, but these factors, this is this is bordering on the absurd, but there is a method to the madness, to your point. Yes. They are trying to drive down and and do away with this fossil fuel industry and, and, and move towards this green climate change component that is really kind of an under-the-radar uh, issue that is going to be very relevant here yes. in Florida. Yes, absolutely. And it and and to the extent that it is relevant immediately, we have a special session coming up in just a few days. We do. Uh, all about property insurance and the property insurance crisis that we have right now. I read while I was out on the road uh, just a few days ago, uh, another insurance carrier down in South Florida is is jettisoning the state. Uh, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 65,000, 75,000 policies, those folks are going to have to inevitably shift likely onto Citizens Property Insurance Corp. The state is facing a meltdown of its property insurance market that is caused at the root by meritless fraudulent litigation. Yeah, there's no doubt. We're, I mean, the, the Florida market has become so expensive as people open their kind of new statements and their escrow accounts go through the roof and now their you know their monthly mortgage payments are you know uh, just just crazy crazy high in some cases their insurance is more than their actual mortgage. I mean yep. the market has been completely distorted uh, and 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 the state has to do something about this because while we love to brag on the free state of Florida, this is one area coupled with the trial bar where things could go very wrong very quickly for our state's economy with a bad hurricane. And this threatens the this absolutely threatens the prosperity that Florida has enjoyed over the last 25 years. I think that there is a an element of this that is so insidious that it, it, what we're basically doing through the laws that have been enacted back from went back when Charlie Crist was governor, right. they implemented laws at his direction that incentivized frivolous, meritless litigation on all insurance carriers. And as a result, 15, you know, 18 years later, we're now seeing the fruits of that. And I am I am holding out hope that over the course of this special session and and maybe even into the next uh, the next cycle that uh, policymakers uh, leverage the wisdom that they have. Right, and the governor has been very bold yes. on what he wants to have happen. So he has said he wants 
to fix this market. And the question is, is there the political will in the legislature to do it? And that's where we're going to finish off. Thank you so much for uh, listening to another episode of Spill the Tea. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.